So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to your butthole. Okay, I hit record, so welcome to Feature Creep. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Colon. Mm, buttholes. Buttholes. Um, Built-in microwave. <laughs> Built-in microwave. Semicolon. The big bad context. Yeah, welcome to Feature Creep, and I'm Ned, and this is Meg, and yep. we're going to talk to you about, uh, I guess, like a, a continuation of Consider the Context. Yeah. Yeah. Consider the Context was an episode that we did, or a podcast, whatever, whatever we're calling them. Yeah. About the book Pragmatic Thinking and Learning, Refactor Your Wetware by Andy, Andy Hunt. Andy Hunt, yeah. And we love this book, and it's great, and occasionally we talk about our favorite parts of it. Yeah, so we just thought we'd pick out a particular topic um, and kind of talk about why that's important for any kind of design work or artwork you're doing or... I mean, really, any anything you're putting your mind to, um, mm-hmm. this definitely applies. <clears throat> the book's written uh, generally with a focus on pr- software development, um, although I find that there's not a lot of I, like. I think every idea that that he brings up in the book seems to have more general, broad purpose yeah. approach, and so some of his examples are program related, <clears throat> are programming related, but they're not um, they're not strictly limited to that context so mm-hmm. um yeah so what do we mean by the big bad context um i think i think if you listen to consider the context i think we we already kind of put forward a lot of ideas um that both andy hunt brings up in this book but also uh just in general like why context is important why considering the context is important um and so we don't need to like kind of rehash those, but kind of I would say like a summary is basically context is what informs you of the whatever it is you're working on. Right. So you're kind of not. Um, it's what's going on. It's what's going on. So if you're creating a, a work of art, your con like what context you consider that art, like the context that you consider while you're making that art can inform how that art is both received, how it, how you perceive it as you're creating it, the whole process, same kind of thing in a design context or in any kind of like programming or any kind of work Mm -hmm. that you're doing, being aware of how you're like being aware of the tasks that you're undertaking and how they fit into the world at large makes, makes it easier to have those tasks be successful Mm -hmm. or those endeavors be very successful. Right. Yeah. So, um, so this is a section uh, from the book called Keep a Big Enough Context, section 8.6. And we're kind of looking at why um, or what this covers. The idea is that it makes the argument that um, you need to have your, your context needs to be big enough in order for it to be an effective context. Like you, you can't just kind of stare at a napkin and then consider the top of that napkin the entire context and then not have any context for like where or why it's being used. Is it mm-hmm. a cocktail napkin? Are you in a bar? Are you at a party? Is it disposable? Does it need to survive multiple uses? You know, all of those things need to be considered. Mm-hmm. You know, is it a child's birthday party? Is Should it be more colorful? 
Um, Are you going to print dicks on your napkins or is this not a dick party? Right, exactly. Yeah, right. like how many sausages does that napkin need to hold? Right. So, um, yeah, so keeping a big enough context is important. Um, and so Andy Hunt kind of, uh, he talks about something called the sort of desktop metaphor. Um, and he talks about this idea of... Um, the size of your desktop being being kind of your like like as a good example of why you can see intuitively why a bigger context is important if you have a larger desktop that you can spread out on and you can like put your papers out and all the things that you're trying to look at mm -hmm. all at once then you can you can operate with a larger context yeah. and then he kind of really makes the <clears throat> comparison to staring at a monitor and having one tiny small monitor like on a laptop versus say having you know multi 25 inch monitors giving you a lot more real estate giving you more virtual desktop giving you space to mm -hmm. not have to switch context but in order to be able to see the larger context of what you're working on whether that's multiple documents open or um you know, if you're working on code, like that's multiple source code and reference material and et cetera. But whatever design art project, whatever you're doing, having having the ability to kind of visualize it in the context of where it should be mm -hmm. is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and can really save you a lot of um a lot of like mental energy. Um, because every time you switch contexts, there's a there's a cost. Um an intellectual cost. Yeah, an intellectual cost. And so you need to, you know, re like reload stuff into your working memory. You need to um, access all of that stuff. And so even if you find that to be easy enough, you're still paying that cost that you might be able to use that mental focus and energy in a larger part of the project if mm -hmm. you're not also giving yourself these little hurdles all the time. Right. Like having to you know, switch windows or like get up and move and go somewhere else in order to like do the next part of the project. Like all of those things are kind of context switching. And so being aware of when you're context switching um, and trying to minimize that by giving yourself a larger context, a context that's large enough to minimize your, your need to flip, flip back and forth. Yeah. To like flip back and forth. Exactly. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I really like the very first part of this um, this little section where I think the reason that's stuck with me is I'm like, well, I definitely do this. Um, I'm not sure uh, I feel exactly the same way, but uh, he says, and I quote, um, so this is the very beginning. He says, the more you can keep information in context, the better. Personally, this is why I tend to, or tend to have lots of piles on or near my office desk. I call that context. The cleaners call it a mess. So that's kind of his little, mm -hmm. you know, quip joke or whatever. But it does, yeah. um, it does kind of highlight the issue of, um, like for me personally, like when I, I know that it's important for me to succeed at a project, keeping, um, keeping everything out and available visually makes a big difference because, as he kind of points out, out of sight means out of mind. Mm -hmm. um, in the next chapter or in the next paragraph, uh, I, I do very much relate to this. Like I need things to be out and present for me to be aware, like to maintain kind of object permanence for me and long enough, like to, for mm -hmm. them to stay in the context long enough for me to like incorporate them into whatever I'm working on. Yeah. And so if I put things away, 
um, that are possibly part of the project in order to like quote clean up, I hurt myself in other ways because then I end up, but there's a weird balance there where I can also get overloaded where it's like, well, I have too much out. Yeah. And now I need to like clean up because now I'm overwhelmed by all of the choices and I haven't left myself with. So I would maybe argue there's probably a balance to be drawn there somewhere. Yeah, that makes sense. I was really interested, uh, sort of prior to the section that we're talking about mainly here, oh, yeah. keep a big enough context, which in my copy of this book is on page 207. Mm -hmm. uh, just a couple of pages before that, Andy Hunt talks about um, context switching and how much disposable attention you have for any given thing. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of what you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so how many things are currently demanding your attention and how many total things you can possibly pay attention to at any given moment comprise your disposable attention. Mm -hmm. um, he describes it as an unfavorable ratio. Mm. So... Uh, a problem of organization. You may have already experienced this problem with email. If you keep separate folders for various topics, what do you do with an email that cuts across the categories you use? Using discrete categories for filing starts to fall down after a while and no longer is useful. In a wiki, you can get around this by cross-linking topics. It doesn't have to be strictly hierarchical. But with email, you generally can put a message only in a single folder. It seems better not to store any email in folders. Instead, just have a couple of large buckets and rely on some flavor of search technology to find what you need. This is like, who was telling me? Were we talking about how like younger people don't use filing systems? They just dump everything in one place and do a search? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, he talks here about how shitty multitasking is. Yeah. Like everybody thinks they can multitask, but nobody can. Right. Right. It just because you're good at paying that cost of switching or you, you know, you're still using it up. Yeah. Multitasking takes a heavy toll on productivity. One study found that in general, multitasking can cost you 20 to 40% of your productivity. Right there, that cuts your eight hour workday down to five. <clears throat> Other studies bump that number up to closer to 50% with a huge increase in errors as well. Just to clarify, multitasking here refers to performing multiple concurrent tasks at different levels of abstraction. Fixing a couple of bugs while in the same area of code doesn't count as multitasking, nor does it returning to several similar phone calls or cooking a multi-course meal. You get in trouble when you interrupt your code-fixing session by responding to an unrelated IM email or phone call or take a quick peek at a new site. Something right. that you, has nothing to do with what you're doing. Right. Um, he talks here about, on page 199, about <clears throat> the relative loss in critical thinking capacity mm -hmm. uh, that occurs when you smoke weed versus when you constantly check email and constantly checking email is so distracting and derailing for your intellectual processes mm -hmm. that it makes you dumber than getting stoned. Right. A lot dumber. Like, Constantly checking your email drops your relative IQ by nine points. And smoking a joint is not even by five. That's right. hilarious. Yeah, it is kind of hilarious. I mean, I suppose it depends on the joint, but... Right. I mean, Good also point. maybe not. I mean, I I think the point is is valid, though. I think it's, you know, 
regardless of what regardless of whether it's like regardless of whether that's true that smoking a joint gives you less or is less distracting although i would agree i think there's probably lots of people who feel that way mm -hmm. um especially compared to like constantly having to check your email or you know checking in with meetings or having constant like yeah. full context switches um i think you can look at this and just like know immediately like anyone who has you know done any kind of like office-based work i think any working environment you know what interruptions are and how much they fuck you up mm -hmm. and so the argument here is like you know be aware of like the other interruptions that you're causing yourself or the like even when it's valid work if it's a context switch you might want to try and schedule the work differently so that you have more blocks of time mm -hmm. on a single task as opposed to flitting between five of them right um all at once yeah so. because you're not actually doing five things at once you're doing five things in quick succession and you're only spending a little bit of brain power on each one of them until you switch to a new thing which is right. like totally inefficient right yeah and confusing yeah and slows you down a lot yeah um and i i think about this a lot uh for my own work like how to like i try to schedule my day such that um if I have meetings, I try to get them as back to back as possible so yes. that they don't overrun my day where I'm, Ugh. I'm have these like downtimes where it's like, I know an hour is not enough time to really get into a project. Mm -hmm. And so if I end up with a dead hour, it's like, there are some things I can do at my work, but most of my software writing projects are, you know, multi-day. Like it's not, it's not enough to just jump into it for, for an hour. Like I need a couple of hours to really get going and be effective. And so I try to keep, those blocks of time like you know staked out right um and try not to schedule things in a way that's just like well now in the middle of that four hour block there's a 15 minute meeting which means i'm not going to get anything mm, done in that four hours yeah exactly because i'll be you know as soon as i get going i'll be completely dis derailed mm -hmm. um and i think that's like the big one uh managing interruptions is really difficult mm -hmm. um like I find there's so many levels of like how difficult this can be. Like you have, depending on your work environment or the task you're working on, they come from like everywhere. Any person who exists in your life is just like a constant font of interruption. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's, I, I'm pretty happy with like where I work right now. They seem to have a pretty good culture of like, you can, you can set your status as, you know, focused work, don't interrupt. Um, and that seems to be a pretty acceptable way to like get people to not, you know, fuck with you, fuck with you and try to schedule meetings when you're busy. Yeah. Um, or when, you know, when you shouldn't have to be going to meetings. Uh, but I don't know. It's just hard. It's, it's one of those things where it's like every, Everything in our life now, especially in the digital realm, like everything's vying for your attention. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Like you it's can't just, like just screaming at you constantly. Yeah, like our fucking cell phones, where it's like you get a new phone, and the first thing I do is spend like the next four days like tamping down and muting down all of the apps that they've yes. pre-installed to tell me about how great they are. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then even after Did that, you know that you can buy more of our great stuff. Right. Click here. Yeah, it's just maddening. Um, Anyway, so yeah, but managing your interruptions is a big part of, I think, maintaining, like yeah. getting a big enough context and then setting down a hard boundary around it so that other people don't come barreling in and um, 
just fucking your shit up. Yeah. See, this is like when I worked my day job, I had to get to work at like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because I like getting things done and I had a very challenging job. And so in order for me to actually accomplish what I needed to accomplish, I had to show up at work when nobody else was there. Right. Get at least half of my day done mm-hmm. before anybody else showed up and started bothering me. And it was really interesting to me because I was able to do a 40-hour work week and 20 hours a week just the first half of each of five days right? when nobody was around. Right. But it would take me in excess of 40 hours to get all of that work done if I was working with the normal hours that other people were working. Because your coworkers, nice and upstanding people, though they may be, mm-hmm. are going to treat you like a social situation right. and not like a coworker situation if you let them. And so you have to put up boundaries. Yep. It's like, I have a social life outside of work. The only reason I am here is because I'm being paid to waste my time here. Right. Please. Can we just work? <laughs> my, my office provided the like, much needed respite for a bunch of angry, sad, abused workers. Oh yeah. Yeah. So then people would show up in my cube and be like, can I just come cry in here for a little bit? And Uh, you're like, sure. But you know, it's the beginning of the day. So I'm sure there's probably going to be a line of people wanting to come in here and cry pretty soon. Just so you know, Right. (laughs) you guys don't seem to commingle much wasn't aware if you knew how many other people at this job come cry in my cube. Right. Like everybody. Like you're not the only one who's miserable here. Something is going on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I had a sign on my cubicle that said, this is the rec room for the misguided. Nice. So people would come cry in my cube. Uh-huh. I wouldn't get any work done. Yeah. So I just had to shift my working hours to like super early. It was actually really nice to get there and not have anyone be there. And then by the time everyone else started showing up for their eight and a half hour workday, I was like, oh, I'm already on lunch and I'm not doing any work for the rest of the day. Right. Right. Yeah. It's great. It's great. But yeah, something so simple is just like shifting when you do things or yeah. like, yep. s- don't be afraid to tinker with your schedule or your arrangement of things. Yeah, I mean that's kind of uh really what it's about is, you know, you can you can get a big enough context for all of the things in your life including the context of your life like and that can give you I think it can give you a lot of insight and make some things a lot easier if you can find a way to get kind of a bigger picture view of like what you're trying to work on. Yeah, this is a really interesting metaphor that he includes on page 207. Mm-hmm. Instead of a desktop metaphor, what you really have is closer to the crowded airline seat metaphor as decried by Frank uh, Frederick Brooks years ago. Mm-hmm. And a nice big desktop, you can spread out your work and see what you're doing all at once. In a crowded airline seat, you don't have enough room to see more than one document or a portion of a document at once, so you have to shuffle papers back and forth constantly. Um, he just talks about how you need like you physically need enough space to like right. get a handle on things this is my problem when we lived in a really small space Yeah, like there was just never enough room to actually get a lay of the land like what is it that I'm working on here what, what all needs to be done mm-hmm. so there was just never enough room right right physically it was crazy yeah um 
yeah, I was really, it's really interesting to me because when people try to multitask and stuff, I think they think there's a continuous productivity happening, Mm -hmm. whereas it's not, it's fits and starts. And so it's like, look at this, stop doing it, go do this other thing. Right. Like, so every time you stop doing what you're doing to switch to another thing, you're losing time, you're losing efficiency you're losing intellectual capacity and you're losing um, the ability to like sincerely focus and do deep work on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and you know, I think of like, I think of it in terms of like, if you only pay attention to one task at a time and you take your attention away from that task for any reason, it's just a, it's like you're either on or off. Right. So the concept that like you can be on but doing a different thing that you're on on is like a big lie. Mm-hmm. It's a big fat lie. Um, yeah, no, I think that I, I think there's I've seen some people seem to recognize that more lately um, in the work environments that I've worked in. Uh, like my current manager is pretty big on protecting my my context and not like forcing me into a context shift unless it's like critical um which is nice um Mm -hmm. but i think there needs to be better recognition of that because i think that a lot of like everybody's like oh yeah like i'm super efficient because i got like 15 things done today and like when you look at the quality of them you're like but you could have just done one of those things well Right. Now you've done five things that are bullshit. Right. That need to be redone. Right. So half-assed. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you can look at it for yourself. Like it's really just, you know, especially if we're talking about like making art or anything like that where you're, it's just a fully creative process that's for you. Yeah. Um, first and foremost. And yeah, I think about it. Some things I feel the context switch more acutely than others. Mm-hmm. Like when I really switch context from like, um, like right now I do a lot of backend server coding. And so like when I'm working on like backend resources, um, it's just all super dry, fucking boring shit. Mm -hmm. And then to kind of switch to say like doing this podcast where we're talking about things that are actually interesting. Um, I feel the, like, I feel it kind of move out of my, like, I I feel the kind of like the immediate working memory, like fading away of like Mm. what I was working on Mm -hmm. as like this new things coming in and we're kind of like working on, you know, now we're talking about, um, you know, context on the podcast and my brain's kind of like starting to like work up some pieces of information. It gets into its own kind of like virtual working memory. Right. So that now I'm like thinking about, you know, what did we talk about? What, what do we want to talk about going forward? Um, you know things like that so um yeah anyway i i think it's uh i think there's some pretty cool stuff um in this book and especially around the idea of context that i think people don't maybe talk about as much as we should especially in the design industry um or like an art art related projects yeah i feel like everybody at one point in time was like you can't write a resume without putting multitasking on it and i'm just like no there's no way that all of you are this good at multitasking. Right. That you can put it as a skill. Yeah. On your fucking resume. Right. Give me a break. Yeah. I cannot pay attention to lots of things at the same time. <laughs> right. Super. That's exactly what we want. Yeah. Uh, well, um, 
trying to get a box open and I fucking can't. And it like uh-huh. is designed to open the way I'm trying to open it and it won't fucking come out. I just opened it. Now I can't get this box open. This is so annoying. I'm going to destroy this packaging. Yeah. Maybe that's just the way to go. doesn't matter. It's well, over. It won't come out. Yeah. Anyway, sorry for the interruptions. You try and get it out. I just okay. opened it like moments ago and now it won't fucking come out. All right. You, you talk about um, context, more yeah. context switching. I think there's more in- interesting information um, in that chapter too. Yeah. I like um, where he talks about maintaining task focus uh-huh. and using multiple monitors to avoid context switching. Yeah. So, like, this uh, it, specifically here, he's talking about a virtual desktop switcher, which allows you to have a number of different screens set up that you can switch between. And you use like keyboard shortcuts to do the switch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting because I don't use work like virtual desktop switchers. I just put it, I usually only have stuff on what I know, right? What is the deal with that box? Good grief. God. Thank you. <laughs> um you'd think i mean it's this little cardboard box that has these like magnets on the bottom that like allow it to like kind of snug shut so it's like kind of reusable i mean the other ones worked just fine and and somehow it got stuck and like pulling on it like it was incredibly hard to pull that apart yeah it was nuts yeah it's like what the fuck is going on anyway um How's that for a distraction? Right. Uh, what were you saying about... Oh, the screens. Yeah, so, so you can do the virtual desktop and switch between virtual desktop. Oh, yeah. So he... Yeah. So uh, Andy Hunt often talks about like his practical applications often revolve around his his working environment on a computer as a, as a programmer. And so, um, yeah, he talks about the idea of leveraging um, modern operating systems and their ability to have um, sort of what are oftentimes oftentimes referred to as virtual desktops where you can sort of create these virtual contexts where on one desktop on your virtual desktop you have like open all of your window your browsers and your various programs mm-hmm. and windows that are for a particular task like for instance like if you're doing software development or maybe it's um if you're writing a paper you have your you know your your word processor window open and then you have like your various research tabs open you know in the other monitor or something but you have this whole desktop space so the idea is that when you switch context you switch virtual desktops and so you're not distracted by things that are not relevant to that context for whatever task you're working on Um, and he even talks about um, the kinds of uh, sort of desktops that he has Um, he has he says he keeps one whole workspace for surfing Mm-hmm. aka research so it's mostly just sort of browser windows and media players and things so that he can um you know do web surfing whatever yeah whatever that looks like um so i don't know um i mean i think this is just kind of an example of one way you can consider context and consider how you make your own context in working and then find tools that work for you um i don't know that this is like that critical to me like i think i keep most of my surfing like just in a collection of browser tabs and then Mm -hmm. um you know lately i've gotten in the habit of trying to 
close that out by the end of the day so that I'm not like waking up and already presenting myself with 50 million tabs that I need to now decide whether I really want to read that content or whatever it is. Um, try to, try to do that. Like I, someone told me one time, like the way to, one way to like, pro, like keep on top of your paperwork is that like handle paper once. So like once you have it in your hand, like you look at it and you make a decision about what action mm-hmm. needs to be taken and then either you file it and then it's done or you, you know, do whatever processing needs yeah. to happen. So I try to kind of loosely follow that around. Like when I open new tabs in my browser, like kind of the same thing, it's like open this once. Like if I have that, that's waiting to be looked at or whatever. But, um, you know, once I look at it, like save it or kill it, but don't, don't leave it open waiting around wondering whether I need to read that or not. Right. Um, so yeah, so, uh, right. Keeping, keeping a context, getting a larger context in view. Um, I was trying to think about like more from an art perspective, like how that might apply. Like we've been working on those, um, we've been working on those giant paper mache heads Mm -hmm. and, um, I'm just trying to think about like what what does a big enough context look for those look like for those. I think mostly it just ends up being like get all the furniture out of the living room and put newspaper down on the floor mm-hmm. and then throw paper mache everywhere. Yeah. Um but having it a big enough context that it's like the whole, whole the whole heads in front of me and like all the tools are out, like the glue's out, the paper's out, like I don't have to run into the kitchen to wet my strip of newspaper and come back in here to like, you know. Yeah cover it up it's like everything yeah because there's place. like 600 things in the kitchen to get distracted by right exactly shiny objects everywhere yeah yeah food I mean, yeah that's like a big thing about running my own house to make it work for myself is like keeping things in a state where it's not just pulling me down yep where it's like oh i get up to go to the bathroom and then 15 minutes later i'm in the other room like working on some other project forgetting that i have work today or i have you know this other deadline right. or whatever <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> I like um sort of towards the end of the chapter yeah. on managing focus. Yes. It says how to stay sharp. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh what does it take to stay sharp? The biggest thing is self-awareness, remembering that you need to deliberately work at staying sharp. Left to your own devices. Default settings aren't ideal for programming and knowledge work. If nothing else, remember to do these three things. Learn to quiet your chattering L mode. And like we talked in the last Consider the Context about like L and R mode. Yes. Thinking. Yeah. Um, and like, can you restate what the difference is between them really succinctly or should I look it up quick? Um, yes, I can. Uh, if you want to um, go back to uh let me just hold on I've, i have the digital book so i'm just gonna go the um so the two modes uh as re- so in this book um andy hunt kind of adopted this uh this idea this metaphor for um the the way we currently kind of understand the human mind to work roughly mm-hmm. um and he has a lot of caveats and this is he definitely i think one of the reasons we both like this book is he writes from a more scientific tone which is to say that he presents evidence for the ideas that he's putting forward um but he isn't he doesn't speak in terms of absolute like this is the way it works mm-hmm. um 
what he's doing here is he's saying, you know, given some given some research and understanding, let's use this uh, L mode R mode idea or concept uh, metaphor for the way the brain works. Um, and so the idea is that R mode is uh, much more about like your working memory. Um, it's sort of your your sort of long term memory search as well okay. as like work, working in progress um, areas. So uh, it's it's very important for like sort of practical, uh, repetitive task oriented work, right? Like where mm. you're kind of doing, you've got a linear set of tasks to accomplish. Um, L mode takes over the uh, when L mode is in when you're kind of accessing your L mode version of like working with your mind. Um, uh, you have um, I'm just looking to see so. Uh, uh, no, okay, sorry. So L mode is linear mode. Uh, okay, I've I've skipped over some stuff. So, um, there are two different kinds of processing in your brain, and he's calling the linear linear processing the L mode, and mm -hmm. the asynchronous the R mode or okay. rich mode. So <clears throat> R mode is like it's important for critical thinking for intuition for problem solving and creativity because you have that sort of random access to long-term memory and working memory but it's it's where you're making connections and you're mm -hmm. kind of thinking in a critical sort of intuitive way um, or a creative process l mode gives you power to work through the details to make that actually happen so l mode is where you're working in a more linear fashion where you recognize that right now i'm working on step one and and next i'm going to do step two and sure. um and so according to um the literature that uh andy hunt has cites in this book and also uh, a little bit of i think he's just kind of putting forward this sort of model as an idea of the way it might work uh, the way our brains might work is that um, when you switch between L mode and R mode, you kind of lose access to the other one a little bit. And yeah, so yeah. Um, that's an important distinction. Yeah. So like R mode doesn't do verbal processing. And so uh, it, it can't it like it can't function without the L mode. Right. Like so there needs to be communication between the two. Um, where our mode can access and retrieve and recognize verbal elements, but it can't actually do anything with them because it needs to pass them on to the L mode where then you can, your brain can put them into words and, and right. spit them out of your mouth <clears throat> and take those sort of very physical actions. Um, so uh, anyway, that's kind of L mode and our mode. But we maybe even want to do like a whole podcast on that um, just because it's pretty interesting. It is. We should do a, a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the idea of like staying sharp, yeah. um, is, and that idea, like do these three things, which is so like learning to quiet your chattering L mode. So like basically learning to kind of let your, your sort of linear thought processes kind of like wind down for a moment so that there's you're not getting constant alarms from them saying, okay, now do the next thing. Now, right. you know, now do this, now think this, now do this next thing. Um, and then he goes on to say, uh, so the, the three things were learn to quiet your chattering L mode, deliberately work with and in thought, sorry, deliberately work with and add to thoughts in progress, even if they aren't done yet. Um, I'm not, 
I'm trying to think of like how how this strikes me. Like <clears throat> I guess mm-hmm. I think what he's saying here is is to kind of learn how to kind of like build a snowman in your mind. Like you're kind of like you you have some thought process that you're working through where you're like, okay, like I'm thinking about how I'm going to hang some shelves in my garage or mm-hmm. something. Sure. And so then um, I think the idea is that now that I'm thinking about that, like learn to kind of add to that process rather than letting it like peter out. Like I'm saying like, okay, so now I've, I've got the seed idea of like, I want to put shelves up in the garage, but now I'm kind of thinking about like, well, what, what kind of shelves like wooden ones? Do I want to buy some? So, so I might think about that, but I want to learn to add thoughts to it. Like maybe I might say, okay, well, I definitely know I want some wire rack shelves and, um, you know, might start thinking about like, okay, well, I need to like shop around for those things, but not get too, too sidetracked and stay in context, like keep adding these thoughts of like, what are the questions? Like what kind of shelves, what size are they going to be? When am I going to do the work? What are the shelves that I want like, or what do I want to use the shelves for? Mm-hmm. So, you know, something like that, I guess. Um, I'm not exactly, I wish there was a little more elaboration on what he was kind of indicating. Um, sure. Like, like, Yeah. Um, like, I guess, uh, well, and so the third thing is be aware of just how expensive context switching can be and avoid it in all its myriad forms. So, um, I think that's kind of the idea is to the first two ones being more about like, be comfortable within your mind about where you, when you're staying in context and when you're not, and then foster that skill. Yeah. So foster the skill of like staying. I think number two, deliberately work with and add to thoughts in progress, even if they aren't done yet. I think the idea there is to learn to keep your mind in the context that you're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is kind of letting your mind quiet a little bit from the Elmo chatter and then trying to engage with yeah, because all modes all about like okay, now that you're doing that, the next thing you need to do is this thing over here, and you're right. like yeah, 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 shush, shush. Yeah, I'm yeah. working on this thing over here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, but just after you're done with that thing, you need to come over and do this thing over here, and after that, oh, right. maybe you need to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water. Maybe do you need something to eat? It's like shut up. Yeah, shut just up. Shut up for a second. Yeah. Shush it. Shush it. We at my at that same day job that I yeah. referenced earlier. There was a client who used to call us pretty frequently. Not a pain in the ass or anything. They just had mm-hmm. a lot of business they were doing with us. Oh, yeah. And they lived with their niece, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And every time this client would call us on the phone, Kelsey, for whatever subconscious reason, felt compelled to like, Margin and start talking to this client uh-huh. about things that are unrelated to the phone call. Uh-huh. And so like it happened so frequently that we like we had a joke about it. And I still have this joke, even though I quit working there like five yeah. years ago. Fucking five years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, one twentieth of a lifetime ago mm-hmm. was when I quit that job. Holy shit. Well. Uh, it was a great decision to quit that job. Anyway, um, the joke. The joke was that this child, Kelsey, yeah, 
would come and start talking to this person when uh-huh. they were on the phone. And the response was always the same. Kelsey, I am on the phone. Kelsey, I said, shush it. <laughs> shush it, Kelsey. <laughs> but the like the irritation of like, he was never like, it was never super short or cross or mean. Yeah. It yeah. was just like, how can you not see that I am on the phone right now? Right, right. Kelsey, I am on the phone. <laughs> uh, so anytime somebody else would complain or yeah. any, anytime something happened that we didn't appreciate, we were like, shush it, Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And that went on forever. Oh, man. That's shush pretty it, funny. I've, I've definitely heard that tone and conversation. In, I or said, those shush words. it, Kelsey. Yeah. Kelsey, I am on the phone. <laughs> And there was just sort of like an exhaustion in the tone of voice too. Mm-hmm. Like how many times do we have to say this? Right. How many times do we, have, why do you only try to speak to me as soon as I picked up the phone? Right. I feel like you're doing this intentionally. Right. <laughs> Kelsey. Oh man. Oh, so funny. Anyway. Yeah. I, I am always telling my Kel, my L mode chattering to mm-hmm. shush it, Kelsey. Yeah. Shush it, Kelsey. Right. Yeah. Just, just, just hold your horses there. Um, I think it's like, I think my approach to an attitude toward getting work done has changed radically. Mm-hmm. Um, owing to a couple of factors. One is that I started doing work that had actual real emergencies happening. Mm-hmm. And so things that are just pesky emergencies that like they only rank as emergencies because they're the most important thing going on in the context. Right. Right. So you're like, this is not actually an emergency, but your L mode is like, Oh, don't forget about this thing. Don't forget about this thing. Don't forget about this thing. It's like L mode kind of reminds me of like, like our mode is a bunch of children on a bus that's on fire. Yeah. And L mode is the driver evacuating them one at a time. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And like, so your R mode is like a bunch of screaming, terrified children in need of some serious guidance. Right. And then your L mode is that guidance. And it's like, okay, I see that there's a giant fucking mess of shit over here. You, you come stand in line first. Now you, now you. And it's like, and uh, that L mode's whole thing is just like lining things up and shoving them out the door before they get burnt alive. Right. And our mode is just like, everything's on fire all the time yeah it's like a bunch of like second graders running around in a dark room with blindfolds on <laughs> right exactly it's like you know with power tools you, right <laughs> you know there's some good ideas and some bad ones in there but uh-huh it's, yeah. you can't know it has to be l mode that figures that out right you have to right. trust that your l mode is prioritizing correctly mm-hmm. yeah i actually i really like that section i think maybe um it warrants some further research by us and maybe going through it and talking about it in better, yeah. better context. Cause I think it's cool. I think it might even be cool to go look and see what, um, reference material he was looking at. Oh yeah. Um, cause I know he has some citations. So, um, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to kind of look at that and see what the, yeah, what I the like in, in the very end of this chapter, how to stay sharp. There's next actions and it's like, Oh yeah think of routine things that you need to do that tend to distract you like 
I get distracted by going to the bathroom. Yeah. Because then once I'm in there, I'm like, oh, maybe I should tweeze my eyebrow or maybe I should wash my face and then put some more serum on it or maybe I should do this or that or the other thing. And then I have to walk back through the kitchen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, there's so many things I could tidy up in here. Yeah. And then I look at the rugs on the floor and I'm like, mm, those need a washing. And then the floor needs a sweeping. Maybe I should wash the floor. Well, if I wash the floor, then I have to wash the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And it just spirals. And then I'm like 15 minutes later, I'm just like staring out the window in the kitchen. Uh-huh. And I was in the middle of doing something that I only stopped to go pee. Oh, right, right, right. And then was like ensnared on the way back. Yeah. And we like, we've talked about how you have ADHD. And so yeah. you just exist in a bus that's on fire with a bunch of children with no bus yeah, driver there's no, there's no prioritizing bus driver. anything. Right. There's just yeah. children too feeble to open the door yeah yeah screaming burning alive in there right like every once in a while um you know someone accidentally pops out a window or something and makes it out but right yeah (laughs) how do you get out of there yeah right uh and then i can induce that state in myself selectively but i don't usually have that problem i'm usually a lot of l mode yeah i'm usually like my l mode is like like how you talk about this voice in your head like don't do that don't pay attention to that come have some food yeah wouldn't you love some sugar yeah my l mode is like don't do that wouldn't you prefer to like make order out of chaos somewhere and i'm like yes i yes i would actually i'd like to do that and and then eventually it wins out. It's like, no, just you can focus on other things as soon as you do all of the things that you were thinking about doing, like right. cleaning the rugs and then sweeping the floor and then washing the floor. But if you're going to wash the floor, you might as well do the whole bathroom. And then like half a day is gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's amazing how um, I'm ADHD for cleaning ADHD for cleaning. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing how uh, like like you really need both in balance to really like hit the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, like more of one than the other is not good for anybody. No. <laughs> um, You've either got screaming children or somebody who doesn't know how to have any fun. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, um, yep. Yeah. I very much. Yeah. Like I, I do exist in that world where it's like, I was just going to say like, I, I have my, I hide my Q-tips in the drawer in the bathroom because if I leave them out, when I walk by and I see them, I'll be like, that'll feel good in my ear. And then I'll go over and I'll be poking a Q-tip in my ear. Or like, it'll just be enough to pull me over there. And then I'll be like, you know, like, and it just, there's nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Like, it's just, I've already got my finger in my ear, like in a Q-tip in my (laughs) ear. Like, and then I'm like, wait, what was I doing? Um, Oh man. So you find L mode and R mode like totally mutually exclusive. Like you can't engage in both at the same time. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Like I, according to the model, um, as he describes it, that is the case for everybody. Uh, which is to say you need to be able to switch back and forth, but you can't do both at the same time, but you can't do both at the same time. Like your memory is, memory as he describes it memory is sort of this shared uh shared resource and l mode and r mode have to take turns accessing it Mm -hmm. and so if you are kind of getting a lot of r if you're doing r mode then r mode is accessing your memory um whereas and it's not that you can't switch back and forth i think i don't think switching back and forth is necessarily the same kind of thing as like context switching 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think the impression I get is that it's kind of um, like his metaphor for this sort of R mode, L mode model is this sort of dual CPU system that um, you can access one or you can use one or the other one and you can switch back and forth as much as you want, mm. um, but they share the same resource, which is memory. And so the way they communicate is through memory. Um I think I think the idea is like it's basically like L mode can operate on the memories or R mode can be operating on the memories. And so if you're like heavily getting a lot of L mode, mm-hmm. then you're getting a lot of order right. to what is there. But if you're getting a lot of R mode, then you're getting new or you're getting mo- like you're getting a lot of modification to the existing memories, like in a way like Yeah, constantly changing. Yeah, constantly changing. Um and I don't mean memories so much in the sense of like I remember what my brother looks like or like, you know, <laughs> I mean like memories in the sense of like this abstract concept of your current state of being like are you like what are you thinking about like you know these aren't these are mutable memories where it's like you're working on them like will like you're you're thinking of an idea of like you know putting the metal shelf or putting the shelves in the garage right like you're you're modifying them and i think in this context our mode is like the thing that comes up with and and generates a bunch of options for what the shelves would look like yes i was just thinking that so you're like your l mode is like shelf yes our mode next thing you need to do is put a shelf here and your r mode is like shelf metal wood open rack right like liner no liner uh supported by like yeah like like is it strapped to the wall is it strapped to the wall is it shelves on the wall is it freestanding is it a cabinet does it have doors does it not have doors does it have a lock does it not have a lock right exactly yeah Yeah, (laughs) that's like my r mode is like you need a shelf i can get you a shelf by 3 (laughs) p.m yeah with nail polish don't ask me how (laughs) exactly yeah yep yeah exactly and so um i think that i think that's the idea is i think um I think that, and so for me, like, I think the idea is like, I basically, as, as someone with ADHD, I have very reduced L mode. Like my L mode is harder to access. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just for many people, they can switch back and forth between R mode and L mode seamlessly and pretty fluidly in order to like continue to maintain the work in a context. Whereas for me, it's like, I, I get... I get stuck in R mode a lot. And when L mode's going on, like I don't always get to choose when I can apply L mode. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard for me to like to switch into the parts of action where it's like, okay, now take action and follow through. Mm-hmm. Or now now apply all of those great ideas you just had in R mode. Right. And, you know, say that thing in the middle of the conversation as opposed to like six days later being like, well, I thought of like 50 things to say and I said none of them. <laughs> I said none of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think of my, sometimes I think of R and L mode as like uh, the difference between like your context is your countertop with all the ingredients for making cookies. Right. Your L mode is your recipe book. Yes. And your R mode is like the flour, sugar, mm-hmm. measuring cups, the chips, eggs, whatever, all like the all stuff. The ingredients to, yeah. And then the order in which you put them together is your left like L mode. Right. Right. Yeah, like that's where you're like linear like the now you've gone through the you're going through the procedures and doing yeah. the Yeah. It was like here's all of the things 
like your R mode is your awareness of all of the things and your L mode is like which ones you should be paying attention to at any given time. Right. Right. They can, Yeah. They definitely have to work together. I, uh, I in general, generally speaking, mm-hmm. I don't have a difficult time with switching between the two. Like you described being yeah. kind of seamless. Yeah. <clears throat> and I kind of like, I kind of tend to operate in R mode quite a bit, but then I always look up at my F L mode to see what I'm supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and whether or not I'm doing it. Right. So I, I, yeah, I guess the recipe book makes a lot of sense because I'm working on the recipe in front of me and every once in a while I look over at the book, like, am I still doing this right? Great. Yeah. Right. Keep going. What's right. the next thing I'm supposed to do after I finish doing this thing I'm doing right now. Right. But <clears throat> yeah, when I get distracted, when I'm in altered states, mm-hmm. and I just indulge R mode. I mean, I can go into an R mode thing for like hours. Yeah. And yeah. like come back out of my reverie, like, oh, it's getting dark outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How long have I been in this chair? Right. Just like thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's a nice feeling if you don't have any kind of like heavy pressing thing that you've just like given up and now you kind of have that like kind of, I don't know. Um, I think of this as like sometimes it's good to be bored. Yeah. Because it's nice to like give your brain an opportunity to like reflect back on itself and Mm -hmm. think about like its current context and be like, oh, actually I'm really bored right now because I don't have, you know, what is it I actually want? Yeah. Like as opposed to just like never letting yourself be bored and you just like you're looking at a computer screen, you're like reading Twitter, you're, you know, you can't go on Facebook anymore because as of today that's shut down apparently. Oh, what happened? I don't know. It's been shut down all day all since this morning. Facebook, Super Instagram, great. WhatsApp. <gasps> yeah. It's oh been down God. for a while, for a couple hours. Did some amazing data terrorists take down their sites? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. <clears throat> um, data terrorist. <laughs> Right. Right. That's like what it is. It's so weird to think about, like, um, how how many people's lives are so intimately tied to the internet that a major outage is like considered like a huge catastrophe, like a like right. a like a real world problem of like, you know, people might die. Like, I mean. I'd like to think they wouldn't, but it's like, it seems like that might be the case where it's like, you know, people are going to lose their jobs or like, you know, they're going to lose, I don't know, whatever their livelihood is that just is a hundred percent internet based. Yeah. Or like things are just going to fail where it's like, well, the food didn't show up because we couldn't place an order because, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. or like some logistical chain breaks down because it's all based on information traveling over the internet in order for it to happen. Right. And so no one could then call on a landline and be like, hey, George, like it's time to pack the truck up and drive it over to the store. Right. (laughs) Yeah. This is like, uh, imminentize the eschaton. Right. Let's just tear it down. I mean... Like all of our fucking supply chain issues and all this stuff is from like dehumanizing our systems to the point where they don't even function right in a way that makes sense anymore. Like it's so abstracted and the problems that we've been solving for are so far away from the human problems Mm -hmm. 
that we have all kinds of solutions to things that don't exactly impact people. But when you've got something in the supply chain that falls apart and the impact to people happens, there's just no like remedy for that. Yeah. Cause that hasn't been the focus of the problem solving or the processes for a really long time. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when we, when we first met and we started talking about some of the projects we were going to work on together, um, I think we both kind of felt that distinct need for it to not be dependent on some kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Like we both kind of, I think we both were kind of in agreement that it's like, we should be able to reduce these things down to pen and paper or pencil and paper. Yes. Like the system that we're imagining, like whether it's like a, you know, managing some kind of service, like, you know, delivery food or whatever, there should be a, a fallback. It should be able to gracefully scale all the way back down to someone with a pencil and paper, yes. keeping track of whatever data in a, in a reasonable way, like not unreasonable for a person to be able to record this stuff mm-hmm. um, or communicate through paper and pencil basically for the whole project. When Damon worked that dispatch job, yeah, <coughs> everybody was always pushing like crazy to like modernize it and digitize it and yeah. update it and have it run on the internet and like all this stuff. And he, he was constantly fighting back a tidal wave of requests for digitization and he was like no that's right. that's ridiculous like given the context yeah given the context of where we're doing this dispatch there right. is no reason there is no good argument for putting it on the internet right. just do it all on paper yeah like it was i've also faced similar issues at jobs where it's like let's just apply a really complicated fucking computer system to this <laughs> to solve super this straightforward pretty problem. simple problem I wonder if there's been a loss of that art. I feel like maybe there's some loss in going away, like losing losing people who are good at bookkeeping, bookkeeping. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, just keeping a paper record. Because good bookkeeping means that you have, at the end of the day, when all the records are recorded and the books are kept, there's not it's already pretty efficient at minimizing like you don't have to write the record twice like all of the things that that a computer accomplishes for you where you're like oh you put in the order over here and then at the end of the day we see how many orders were sold right whereas if you have a good bookkeeping system that's on paper you have the same result like by the time you've done you know you record the transaction and now you've like you know you've written down what was sold and how much was paid for or whatever Mm -hmm. and then you have a running total of how much money you made that day or how much came in and how much went out how many things were sold like you can do other things like keep track of categories of things that are being sold whatever you need to do yeah and if you have a good system in place you don't need to have a computer to do that Hmm. i get that it's it can be helpful and there are many like complex systems that computers are very good at solving but i just i think in terms of this like where we're talking about considering the context it's always good to think about like what your what's your like what's your real minimum survival or minimum viability of of like an idea like if you're talking about like doing a piece of art like what's the minimum thing that's going to express that right like if you shave too much off it stops being the thing right exactly so you know in some contexts it's like well it's never not going to be digital because that's part of the context of it right right? like part of how it makes sense Um, yeah you know like you wouldn't ever change an email system to a paper system because that's a we already have that we have the mail system like you don't you know 
the email kind of implies that it is its base level is some digital domain. Mm-hmm. Right. But, yes. But, yes. you know, that said, like, that's why it's like, don't force context on yourself that you don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. And so at least having the big context allows you to see that a little bit, see where what's actually part of this context and what's not. Right. Look um, at this thing, this grouping of things over here. This all makes sense. Oh, what's that doing in there? Right. Like, am I, am I, you know, getting in my own way by like forcing myself to use tools that I don't actually need in order to do this? I thing? do that a lot. Yeah. Uh, like, cause I go through this sort of learning curve where I'm like, okay, this tool is supposed to be helpful. So I need to learn how to use the tool. And once I've learned how to use it, I need to interact with it a bit and compare it to other tools that I've used to decide whether I think it's objectively a good tool or not. Right. Right. So there's like this whole, I've ended up using all kinds of tools where I'm like, this is not, it's not me interacting with this tool. It's just really poorly made. Right. Or like really poorly designed or if not poorly designed, this is clearly designed for a person who does not think the way that I think. Right. Or whatever. Right. And so sometimes there might just be subjectively bad tools because. Yeah. Yeah. And that's another value for starting on paper. Yeah. You have a lot more um, flexibility to sketch out the way that you're thinking about the problem. Right. And you're not, and no one's in for, no software is enforcing on you how you need to interact with that. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you already have like a really pretty open plane of ability to you know there's a lot of different directions you can go to make decisions about things or how you just want to manage your ideas around it um i think that can give you a lot of insight into what you need when you're starting to think about like oh i want a digital solution to this problem of like you know journaling or whatever like you're you know you're you're getting your thoughts down on paper but you're like no i want what 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 is it you actually want that you think the digital domain is going to give you Mm -hmm. and then just go find only the tool that gives you that yeah and nothing more and i i don't know i think i for a little while there i thought like we were kind of coming into a golden age of software where um there was enough choice and it was visible enough that one could kind of just envision like pretty close to what they how they wanted to be working in the digital domain so like if you're drawing a picture for instance like if you're like, okay, now I've decided I'm going to go away from paper and I want these pictures to be drawn directly into a digital format. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you have, there's this huge wide range of choices of different software to use and all of those things. And mm-hmm. I think maybe a couple of years ago, I was more optimistic that that was like moving in the right direction. But now I'm like, no, I mean, it feels like everything else on the internet, they're oftentimes designed to grab your attention because their goal is to sell right their thing and so it's very hard to find it's really hard on the internet to reveal what you're looking for because when you do anybody that's listening is like oh my thing does that whether it does or not right and so now you just have a bunch of people screaming at you saying well buy my thing because it does exactly what you just said you wanted it to do screaming children in a burning bus right and you're like but it doesn't do any of those things (laughs) they're like but now that i've already got you talking you know we're halfway there right yeah so um <clears throat> now I just need to convince you. Right. A little while exactly. ago we didn't even know each other. Yeah. Now we're friends. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Um <laughs> so we watched that movie Ruben and Ed last yes. night. Was that last night we watched that? Uh two nights ago. Two nights ago. Yeah. Um and if you haven't seen it, it's a movie by uh Trent Harris and uh it's got this amazing friendship 
mm-hmm. that develops over time. And I was which just, starts out as mutual manipulation. Yeah, mutual manipulation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They're both looking for a very particular uh, a outcome. A sucker. Yep. Um, <laughs> I love the like how like different their goals are and yet exactly the same. Yeah. So like Ruben's goal is to bring a friend home to show to his mom so that he can prove that he has a friend and his mom will give him back the music that his cat who is now dead. Yes. Used to listen to. Right. Um, the cat's favorite music was Mahler. Yeah. Yeah. So he listens to a lot of Mahler and every time he turns on the Mahler and starts squeaking the mouse, he's kind of like his bedroom is like when you see the apartment that he lives in with his mother, it is beyond fastidious. Yes. Yeah. It's like, almost uninhabitable it's so angular and perfect uh-huh. and geometric yeah and then ruben's room is like there's a stack of newspapers in the corner that's taller than ruben uh-huh and just like stuff and there's like a over. bit of torn newspaper on the floor that he keeps walking over it's just there it's he doesn't just, even notice yeah. it yeah just back and forth back and forth and his, his mom when she hears him playing the music comes in like no more mauler until you make a friend yeah so she steals his boombox. Yep. And makes him take out the trash. Yeah. And so then he's looking. So that's how he meets Ed, is he thinks he can convince Ed to show up and act like his friend. Right. Because Ed, yeah. alternatively, is involved in a real estate MLM scheme. Yes. And he needs to recruit people to come to this like meeting with him. Yeah. The seminar. The seminar. Uh, about the power of positive real estate. Yes. I am an incredibly powerful salesperson who continually climbs higher and higher up the ladder of success. Yes. It's like the longest chant ever. Yeah. yeah. It's great because in the movie they hate like repeat after me and everybody's saying this, but they're all saying it at different (laughs) speeds. And so it's just kind of like, yeah it's really good that's a that's definitely i i love that movie i can't thank you enough for introducing me mm. to that movie it, it's welcome. definitely yeah so reuben and ed meet outside in a like public place where ed's trying to ensnare people yeah and he is able to ensnare reuben because reuben thinks he's ensnaring ed right exactly yeah, it's great um well, should we should we look at object colors? Yeah. Um, or should we look at colors of the day? Colors of the day. So uh, thank you for listening to our podcast. And we're just going to close up with our, our usual um, segment of colors of the day. Mm-hmm. And if you had any thoughts or ideas you wanted to share with us about this topic or any topic, um, you can email our executive assistant, Dana, at D-A-N, so D-A-N-A at FCBM.io. Uh, you can also just go to fcbm.io and see our contact page and send us direct emails if you like. Um, yeah, we'd just like to hear from you. We know you guys are out there listening somewhere. Your gang, your gang, your guys, your gang. I'm trying to switch away from guys to gang or to. Uh, I feel like you people is too accusatory and <laughs> not at all the right thing to say. <laughs> So, I mean, maybe you could just normalize it and then it would be the right thing to say. Yeah, it just, just feels it just feels very it just feels very like separating. Like I am drawing a line in the sand and it's you people over there and it's me over here. That's right. <laughs> when is it not that, though? Yeah, well, I feel like as a middle aged white guy, like I don't need to do any. I can't I, I need to not do any more damage on that front. <laughs> you know, what I mean? 
I'll leave that to other people to normalize you people. Uh-huh. And I will, uh, I'll leave that to you people. Yep. Uh, anyway, um, well, thanks for listening. And uh, here, here's our colors of the day. So today we have um, maybe the best color name that our research team has ever come up with. Yeah. So our research team uh, revealed this color to us and it is called aneurysmatic divagation. <laughs> and it's like Slimer from the Ghostbusters green. Yeah. So uh, if you've got your phone handy or you've got a internet connection somewhere, you can pop this in a, a browser or do a Google search or do a DuckDuckGo search or whatever. But um, if you pop in this hexadecimal value, then you should be able to see the color that we're referring to. So the hexadecimal value for aneurysmatic divagation is uh, pound sign four four. FC55. Once again, that's pound 44 FC55. That's 44 Foxtrot Charlie 55. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, an- aneurysmatic divigation is this just slimer green. It's definitely, I feel like if, if this color was painted in a room on all the walls, Ooh. It would definitely be aneurysmatic inducing. Like it'd be yeah. I, aneurysmatic divagation would be a, a correct term for that. Yeah, um, that would be really unsettling. Yeah. So I, when I first learned about this color, I did not know what divagation means, and so I looked it up, and it means uh, it just basically means deviation from a story or from a plot, or you know, um, so which is perfect considering our discussion today. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's pretty great actually. Um Yeah, cuz we're talking about I mean <laughs> divigation is like our whole MO for our podcast, right? Yeah. Uh basically to wander or stray from a course or subject. Um Right. That's us. That's us. That's what how we do. So, uh in grand tradition of doing colors of the day, we always have at least one extra color to complement or uh to highlight the colors. Mm-hmm. So our our alternate color or our other complementary color. It's not complementary, I don't think, but um the color that we have uh is Masonic impairment. <laughs> and this is like a a sort of I don't know, like 50% gray kind of vibe to it. Um Yeah. The hexadecimal value, which you can put in uh put in your put in a search engine and, and you should get get to look at the color is uh pound sign bravo two alpha alpha bravo seven so that's pound sign b two a a b seven great and uh yeah it's just kind of a kind of a very neutral gray um it's it's a little uh maybe just like slightly bluer it's like when i look at it i'm like that's just like it's dead on middle of the road perfect gray right like it doesn't have a lot of colorful undertones it's it's not like blue gray right right or like prussian blue right or like right no it's just and it goes really well with that green like i one of my favorite color combinations is is intense orange this color green and gray and gray Mm -hmm. yeah this is definitely i mean it's it's this is a good. good color. Yeah. These are great. These colors actually remind me of um so a, a particular institution for a long time did color of the year but recently started doing two colors of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh coincidentally after we uh 
mentioned Instigate. them several times yes. about the concept of having a single color in a year doesn't might as well choose 50% gray all the time. Right. Um, and so this year's colors are, um, I believe they're basically like banana yellow and like duct tape gray, which is also just taken directly from that fucking amazing art project and art basil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so not the most creative concept there, but, uh, these colors remind me of that because of the, the sort of contrast between the uh, Masonic mm -hmm. impairment and the aneurysmatic div divigation mm -hmm. and the way the, the, the aneurysmatic divigation, like just really bright. I, it's hard to, it's hard to look right at it. It's hard to look right at it. Yeah. I think it would be, um, it's, it'd be an upsettingly large impact on your life. If you have this painted anywhere in your house, even in small amounts, like it's yeah. really, it's not going to go well. on most things. I, mean. I feel like it makes my central nervous system want to freak out a little bit. Like I'm like, ah, uh -huh. when I look at it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's also fantastic. Like I, I can imagine so great. I want to shirt this color. Have you ever heard of people who do, like spiteful things to their house. Like they paint the exterior, this color green for spite. Yes. Yes. I've heard of this. There yeah. was somebody in our neighborhood who did that. And there, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, this is probably a little too like bright and yellow. Uh huh. Like the color green that they had on their house was like, if you just sprinkled some AstroTurf green on top of this. Oh, uh-huh. A little greener. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. Less neon. Uh-huh. Like, this is like day glow green. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was a very bright house. <laughs> and they used um glossy paint. Oh, so it's just shiny. and Shiny green. <laughs> sounds amazing. Crazy greenhouse, yeah. And I think like the city was like, well, now we're now we can't let this like be like this. So they like were getting on the guy's back about it. I don't uh -huh. know why he spite painted his house that color. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know who it was targeted at. Yeah. But that's pretty funny. It was an eyesore. Yeah. Right across the street from the neighborhood bar. <laughs> When the Rydells used to live behind us, uh -huh. um, sometimes we would play at their house and in the kids' bedrooms, they were uh, oriented on the side of the house that was facing down the block to the bar. Uh -huh. And sometimes there'd be like some weird bar fight. And so like we would all be hanging out the windows, like looking down the block, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Trying to watch the catch some scuffle. Yeah, some uh -huh. scuffle. Sarah. Sarah, Sarah, I've been in a scuffle. <laughs> Oh man. Um oh, so good. All right. Well that's a that's a throwback to the dream episode. I think that's the uh Yeah. That's a reference to John Ham Camp Mime. Yeah, I think episode. and yep. other and other strange dreams. Other strange dreams, yep. Uh okay. Well, um thanks for listening and Thanks for listening. I guess keep wearing a mask, keep washing your hands and uh go get your vaccine if you haven't done that yet. Yeah. Okay.